Welcome to Future Work, the podcast where we bring you practical tips and insights on the ever-evolving landscape of work. Join us as we explore the trends, innovations, and challenges shaping the way we work today and tomorrow. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm here today with Corinne Murray, who is an expert in organizational and workplace transformation and recently launched her own workplace transformation consultancy called Agate. Welcome, Corinne. Thank you for having me. So great to see you. Great to have you here. And I was uh, stalking your LinkedIn, not a daily occurrence, but uh, I came across a post <laughs> uh, that you wrote where you went to a university, I think. Yep. Um, and you were presenting about future of work and workplace transformation. And you wrote that what was most interesting was how all the students zeroed in on digital nomadism, AR, VR, four-day work week, and socializing at work, mm -hmm. which it seems like kind of made you believe and very encouraging for us that maybe there's some hope for the next generation. Is that is that right? Yes. The answer is yes. I think what was really the most interesting to me is they were latching onto things that I think are still a little far out in terms of practicality, with the exception of four-day work week, seeing as, you know, there are pilots of that happening in England specifically. I think there are a few more in Europe as well. But it was clear that sort of where their heads are at is a bit of a leapfrog from where we are today. You know, there's a lot of practical issues with implementing digital nomadism when it comes to big organizations, uh. you know, let alone all the complications when it comes to taxes. If you spend too much, if you are making money in certain countries, they are entitled to tax you. So all these things that you know, they're so underneath the surface and not the first things that most people think of. So it was just interesting to see how they are counting those things as really crucial to what the future of work is. One student was like, being in an office terrifies me and I want to be a digital nomad. You know, I even having been a person who creates workplaces, I understand because we haven't done the greatest of jobs of making them suitable for work. It's kind of just been like, here's the box. We'll do what we can. But, you know, it's really just use what's here. Don't ask for much more. And it's just incredible that uh, we hear this in conversation so much that other generations just don't understand where they are coming from in the sense that if you grow up doing so much online, and obviously they've also done a big part of their kind of college experience during COVID and, and everything was remote and everything was online right? and everything was possible, it, you know, it's so normal for them. Then when they come into the workforce and there's people saying about, you know, the magic of being together in person and they just kind of like reply and say, what do you mean? Like I've been able to live my entire <laughs> life without having to meet in person in some weird box. So that is yeah. definitely something that also here in Asia, we hear a lot, the two generations or the couple of generations in an office that just have such different kind of perceptions and they come from such a different kind of starting point yeah. that organizations then have to think about how to bridge that. So uh, before we go too far into the future, you know, you, you really focus on workplace transformation. Yeah. What are some of the trends that you're seeing right now, obviously just coming out of COVID? Yeah. So where I've been positioning my work, and I think this is where the industry and just the subject matter keeps getting tripped up is we're defining workplace too narrowly. We're defining workplace as just the four walls where everyone goes rather than thinking through the entire digital ecosystem of where people get work done. Basically, what's the workplace that travels with you 
and is present whenever you open your laptop and you have power and Wi-Fi. So when we're defining it just as the physical box that we show up to, we really do sell workplace short. So the trend I'm seeing is that we're not being expansive enough in how we define workplace. And I think that's how we're getting ourselves stuck in the you know continued conversation of return to office. And like you said, phys- like being prox- proximate to one another is so important. And it is. And especially, you know, there's plenty of research that was done decades ago around strong ties and weak ties. So the relationships that you have with your immediate circle, your family, your close friends, all of those relationships have by and large strengthened through the past few years because your social network has really shrunk because we've needed to stay separate. There's been, you know, up until this past year, much less travel, things like that. But strengthening those weak ties and figuring out how to do those both in person and virtually are really crucial to just business operations and how work gets done, how people can innovate and create together. So the trend that I'm seeing is these conversations are still a little disparate and more, you know, more separate than I'd like, but we're starting to see more and more people treat workplace and I'll use like the capital W workplace as people are starting to understand that it's a product, just like any other company puts consumer products on the market or B2B products on the market, their workplace and their employee experience, and not like just parties mm-hmm. and food and things like that. You know, the very, you know, from the moment you apply for a job to the moment you hand your badge in, what is the experience of being a worker at any company? We're getting there. It's still much slower than I would like, but this is stuff that I've been thinking about for the better part of a decade. So I have to be patient. <laughs> just just continue being patient. Yeah. But I think what you were just saying in terms of this is really a product, this is a service yeah. <laughs> and like anything else that we consume in life, therefore it needs to be designed with intention and it needs to be designed thoughtfully and it needs to be designed really with the yep. user in mind, which in this case is the, is the employee. Yep. And like you said, I can open my laptop and I can work from anywhere. So why is it all about this like place that I would somehow have to go to And that is, you know, where everything somehow magically is better than anywhere else. Exactly. And I think the friction with a lot of the return to office is, and I know that we've talked on LinkedIn a bit about this, is return to office is only for at least how it's being done in the U.S. I can't speak for other regions. It's really focused on just getting people there rather than digging in deeper and saying, while you're here, these are the activities that we think are best supported by being together. So it's a little bit of an extension of activity-based working theory and things like that of what types of work, what types of activities make the most sense Uh to be physically together for. So workshops, creative brainstorming sessions, anything that is really generative, those tend to be most successful when you're in person. But if you're doing heads down work, as long as you're doing it and you're doing it well, it shouldn't, the organization shouldn't mind so long as, you know, everything is protected and safe and all the sort of like information security side of things. I'd have less issue with the return to office conversation if it took it that extra step further of really dissecting. You shouldn't be doing back to back to back Zooms when you're in the office. You're there to be with other people, not see people through, you know, the talking head screen. Yeah, but that's obviously where the the conversation about the office does come in, because if you are purposefully thinking about, you know, what is an office good at? It's good at bringing people together. But then if a lot of the 
sort of software is still that you're doing online meetings and there are not enough rooms to do those online meetings, then as a client recently said, I come to the office and I just end up being extremely frustrated because I cannot find a place to have those meetings and therefore I'm sitting in my cubicle yep. and other people are overhearing my calls and it just becomes the question again, why would I be there? And I don't yeah, think enough it, people are thinking about... It turns into a call center. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it seems like people are not really thinking about the why not, right? Yes. And, and that's really something that people have to figure out. When organizations are, are now thinking, right? So let's say that these are organizations of the Korean school of thought. They want to be better. They want to be more people-centric. If they could start today and they would design something that actually fits with what employees want, mm. what are some of the considerations that organizations would need to take into perspective when it comes to developing, um, you know, a hybrid workplace or maybe remote first workplace? Yeah, I think the first step is really not the exciting or flashy one. It's doing an audit of what exists. I think one thing that organizations shy away from is, you know, really holding up a mirror and seeing just really looking closely at this is what it's like to try to do work or try to collaborate or try to focus in the office or just in this organization. Because if you're getting distracted by Slack messages or emails or you, know, you have a whole series of back-to-back -back meetings where you don't even have time to get yourself food, let alone think, those are the things that are the low-hanging fruit. And so I approach things from a very people-centered design perspective. And so it's a challenging step in terms of, you know, being brave enough to just really look at something in an unbiased and unforgiving kind of way. But then the next step is to say, go to your people and ask them what gets in their way. You know, what are the things that cause friction? Because, and I've learned this through my own experience of doing pretty aggressive workplace transformations and it backfiring because it was too big of a leap for the users. It was a good idea, but it wasn't applied well, or it was just too much of an evolution from what the average user was able to sort of stretch toward. So the trick, like the easy trick I've just been doing is let them tell me what's bothering you, what gets in your way. And usually you'll be able to find a handful of pretty unanimous and universal frustrations. And those are the ones to tackle first because those are the ones where you're going to get the easiest amount of buy-in because if everyone is saying like, oh my God, yes, I have no time to think. I have back-to-back -back meetings. I can't even meet with my manager until next week because their calendar is all booked. Like that to me is, you know, that's low-hanging fruit. That's what you can do and everyone would be on board with. And, you know, you focus on that and you iterate because your first idea is a good one. But your second and third ideas, once you have input and practical use, are going to be even better. And so making sure that whatever you're creating Damn. is people-centered. So, you know, making sure that they are part of the co-creation of solutions. And then also keeping it loose enough to be iterated, to be changed when you learn more information and say, oh, overall, this is the right thing, but we need to change our approach on these couple of aspects, something like that. So... The easiest way to do change management, because embedded in every transformation is bringing everyone along with you. The easiest way to do change management is to change things that people can point at and say, yeah, that bothers me. 
And I think where a lot of workplace transformations went, not necessarily went wrong, but in the U.S. post-2008 during the recession, there was a lot of densification and offices were taken away and people were you know, put into open plan seating and things like that. So it was a lipstick on a pig, make as good of a case of a not ideal situation strategy. We're in a more advantageous position now of saying we're not not necessarily doing that, but we're here to actually solve your problems, not the organization's problems. Mm. It's an interesting role reversal. Right. So listening to the employees is now something that hopefully organizations are getting in a little bit behind. We all know that the best products and services start from... One can only hope. <laughs> right. They start from listening to the user, <laughs> getting to the real insights, and then trying to solve that problem. Yeah. Another thing that you mentioned, which I think is really interesting, is the... Um, and obviously, we're very biased towards this, but it's the role of, of data and insights. As you've then implemented some of the changes, can you share maybe some examples or, or just some guidelines in terms of, okay... Coming up with a strategy, hopefully inspired by insights, is is one thing that you implement it. How do you then make sure to measure the right things and then to use the data in a meaningful way to improve the experience over time? Yes. So I think one of my more controversial opinions is that we over leverage quantitative data and don't really know how to handle qualitative data in the way that it should. Part of it is because qualitative data is very time consuming. You know, it's not monolithic and easy to just sort through and tell a story, but we don't ha we're in a moment where benchmarks do not exist. So quant data doesn't necessarily have the same heft as it used to. And a lot of it is around people driven data. So one thing that I've been playing around with is basically using the net promoter score paradigm, but getting way more specific about it. The problem with net promoter scores, which is basically the pretty universal question for net promoter score is, would you recommend working at this company to a friend or someone that you're close with? That's how a lot of organizations score their own employee experience. But it is such a vague question and it is so subjective and the way that it's answered is truly at the whim of how that person might be feeling that day. They could have had a ton of traffic on the way into work. They could have had a fight with a parent or a partner. Anything could have gone into their attitude in answering that question. So the goal with you know making the net promoter score more specific is to say, okay, we made these changes. You know, does it work for you? Yes or no? So it can still be very simple binary, mm. which one still counts as qualitative data because it's coming from people but it is clean enough that it can be quantified. So figuring out how to basically create binary questions to then help indicate what are the directions that you know evolutions need to go in or future ideas need to move in and things like that. So figuring out how to create process out of qualitative data is really, I think, the key to implementing data and insights for this moment in time. Yeah, very interesting to also do it in the moment because like you said, there's so many things that can influence your rating. And one of those things is also that if you ask too late for a review or for feedback, that it's already a very colored or, or probably people have already forgotten about that specific experience. I think an ex-colleague of yours, Thomas Sharon, who was also at WeWork, mm -hmm. built this entire framework around measuring in the moment and putting the scoring buttons right there in the meeting room as you're exiting and then getting data that's a lot more reliable. Um, so I think that's a that's yeah. a really good one. That's something that people can pick up because sometimes also, you know, there's organizations of different sizes and there's different levels of budget and resource. I think everyone 
can pick up the habit of just asking a few coworkers about how they've experienced something, getting a couple of insights. Anyone can do that at any budget. And I think that's really important. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the thing that qualitative data struggles with is we ask too broad of questions. So the more granular you can get of like, how was this meeting, good or bad? It, very similar. So, I mean, a lot of people I'm sure have used Teams. And I think Teams actually does a better job than Zoom in terms of saying, how was your meeting experience? What was missing or what was great? And that's the level of granularity we want to get to. We want to get to a point where opinion it doesn't influence how someone answers. Right. And then you get data that's actually usable because the whole point is that we, we all have digital desk drawers full of reports and analytics and insights. That's exactly right. But the point is then what do you do with it? And one of the other interviews in this series is with yep. uh, Christy Hoffman from Pingboard. And one of the things that she often remarks is that, you know, there's so much employee listening going on, but it stops at the listening and then nothing happens which then obviously makes people a lot less likely to fill in your next survey. That's exactly right. So getting the data, but then also being able to use it because it is specific and because it is applicable, um, I think is very helpful. Yeah. Another thing that comes up a lot when organizations make these shifts is in culture, communication, community. All these things that, as I like to say, the office was kind of a crutch. They happened by default. They didn't have to be designed. They didn't have to be organized. Now, suddenly, it has to be thoughtfully designed and orchestrated so that these things happen. Yep. What are you seeing? How are companies uh, going about making sure that the things that, quote unquote, were so great about the office now happen when people are either not in the office at all or only in the office every now and then? Yeah. So I think this is actually one area where the U.S. is still attempting to use the office as a crutch. I think there's still an attitude of this is still the easiest way. And I think the operative word is easy. Easy does not necessarily mean best. And this is completely putting my sentiment around being together is crucial. Like I think figuring out how to socialize together, how to create equity and trust amongst teams is crucial to getting work done. I'm just going to put that in <laughs> over in the parking lot for this particular topic. I think that to your point, there are still a lot of leaders who say that their culture is the office. And that is the absolute wrong answer, partly because I kind of come from the school of thought that culture is not something that's designed. Culture is something that is like so high flying that you can't necessarily touch it. But the way you design your communications, the way you design your workplace, the way you design how your teams get stuff done, all of those things feed into experience. And those that collection of experiences is what then sort of tallies up to culture. So there's a little bit of distance between culture and what actually happens on the ground. And I, community, I think, also is, is in a similar bucket of community happens. It can be challenging to design it, but you can encourage aspects of how community can get created. So again, it's it's not necessarily a straight line to you design for culture, you design for community. It's you're creating the muscle memory of how companies and how individuals can go about building those aspects of work. But a lot of organizations are still falling back on events. It was before the layoffs. So... Sometime in 2022, I can't remember when, Facebook Meta was trying to draw people back to the office and had Lizzo perform. So this is global superstar, had her perform, and 
it was a very small percentage of the employee population who showed up. So I think that's a perfect example of, you know, you can't just use the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come mentality of drawing people back to the office because ultimately those things are nice to have. But, you know, similar to what you were saying earlier, Dan, is what's the why not? If people can make an argument against being in the office and say, I still can do all of these things and being together or being in the corporate environment is neither here nor there of my ability to accomplish what I need to, companies are not there yet. They're still in the, well, we're going to just put on the razzle dazzle and try to bring you back with food and events and all these things that, you know, for pretty much the prior 15 years really worked for people. You know, if you go any company's campus, I'm sure is in process of changing because of changing desires and changing demand. They used to be just complete amenity playgrounds. So you could truly go to, you know, Google's campus or Facebook's campus with a bag of dirty laundry and that would be clean for you. You could go to a personal trainer. You could get your hair cut. uh, You have meals you know, three times a day and you could find probably nap pods and things like that. And so like, <laughs> I feel like this was like an unwritten storyline in Silicon Valley, the show up from HBO, like you could effectively live on a tech campus. So it's a completely different way of thinking of everything was there. Then it got taken away through the pandemic. And now companies are trying to pander and say, well, you used to love this. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, but I like my house better. Or I like my local coffee shop, or I like being able to see my kids' sports events in the afternoons. All these different things that completely flip the paradigm and companies are still not totally ready to meet them where they are. Yeah. And that's a uh, genie is out of the bottle. It's hard to go back. And I think that's what we're all experiencing now where everyone... Exactly. And again, no one is against going to the office. I think that's another misconception that somehow no. employees want to work from their bedroom seven days a week. Like that's obviously not the case. Right. Nick Bloom, uh, the famous work from home professor just released uh, the most up-to-date stats. People do want to be in an office or they do want to be out of the home. It just doesn't mean that they want to be back five days a week and like you said, live their life on a campus. Right. So companies that are looking at, you know, what's next, what are some of the things you would advise them as they look into this uh, crazy future of work? Yeah, I think picking up the return to office story from the we want people back and picking it up again and say, what do we want them back for and why? So back to kind of what I was saying of applying activity-based thinking to return to office. So companies need to, rather than just say, I want you here Tuesday through Thursday or how whatever the arrangement is, and the reason is because I said so, they need to, <laughs> one that needs to stop because as we've been seeing, that's not a not at all persuasive or enticing for workers. I think we're going to see, unfortunately, more surveillance happen before we arrive at, you know, my idealistic point. Apple, I think, just released an announcement saying that they're going to start, you know, dinging employees if they don't show up to the office more less than three times a week. So I think we're going to go through a little bit of a fire and brimstone phase, unfortunately, before we <laughs> before we arrive at this, okay, we're going to be really practical and tactical about when we want you here. And, you know, 
maybe the Tuesday through Thursday still stands, but we're also going to ask you to not schedule virtual meetings on those days and come into the office to do brainstorming with your team who's there or, you know, get to, we would host like mentoring programs while we're there, or we'll have like, you know, we'll have demo days if we're building things and we want to share with the organization. So it's just a different use of the office. It's not just, I certainly am not in the school of thought that offices are completely irrelevant, but we need to be okay with the fact that the office does not serve the, the purpose that it used to. It doesn't mean it's irrelevant, but it's not what it used to be. And so we need to design what that looks like and be humble enough to be wrong. So there's a big rethink necessary there. Um, and, and I think the keyword really is intentionality yeah. and focusing on the person, the person that has to use that space and what would they use that for? And again, the worst thing is to show up in an office, not see any of your favorite colleagues there on that day, and then just sit behind your screen doing Zoom calls. Yep. Life is way too short to work like that. Yeah. Okay. This is super, super helpful. I think really insightful for anyone across any role in, in an organization. If there was one thing that you could communicate to the world, whether it is about the world of work or just the world in general, what would that be? What we left in 2019 is not where we're headed. And I think accepting that and being brave enough to think about what the possibilities and opportunities are with that reality rather than the fear and complications that face it. Everything's going to be complicated. There's a like, that's just, that's a given. So, yep, we know this. And then figure out what can we do with it. So there's an Arthur Ashe quote that I really love. And Arthur Ashe is a famous tennis player. It's called start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And I think that's, you know, is very prescient advice. Uh, something that I think about quite frequently. But I think that's what we need to really be leveraging. It's just we need to start and not move backwards. Beautiful. Never moving backwards. Kareen, thank you so much for being yes. on. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. Great to have you. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye.